Thank you, Father, for all that you've given us. We thank you, Father, for providing for us. We thank you for providing us a new space. We thank you, Father, for all the prayers that have been answered in the last week. Father, we also want to thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And today, Father, we would ask that the Holy Spirit would guide us, would help us to understand the passages that we'll be going to this morning. And not only that, Father, but that they would make an impact on our hearts and in our lives. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If everybody could stand now, we'll have a congregation song. All right, I have one, one, what? Yeah, I have one announcement this morning, and that is, but we have a signed contract for our new space. Um, Here's the street address. It's 3134 North Federal Highway, Lighthouse Point. 3134 North Federal Highway and Lighthouse Point. It's a mile and a half. Let me show you a map. It's a mile and a half south of our old church building. Old church building is in red. Our new place is in a green star. Okay, so that's about a mile and a half. So if you think of where we were, and you just go a mile and a half south, that's where we'll be. Next to Burger. Uh, what? Next to Burger. Next to Burger. I had that in my notes. Um, there. Yeah, yeah. If you're driving south, it's on the left side. No matter how you're driving, it's on the east side. So there's also a sample sample road is right. I don't know if I I don't have a pointer, but sample road. There's a sample road exit off 95 for those of you who take 95. So you just take take the sample road exit. Take a left. Trying to do it your way. Take a left. Oh, it depends on whether you're going south or north. Everyone's got the map. Why am I doing this? Just want to make you know that it's not too far from our old building. Okay. That's all I want you to know. And in case you kind of, the burger fi is a good thing to look for if you're wondering if you got the right place. Because we're set up back a little bit, um, so it's easy to miss. So if you if you see burger fi, you know you're in the right place. All right. This morning, we're going to continue in the Gospel of John. And the title of today's message is, One of You Will Betray Me. One of You Will Betray Me. Spoken to by the Lord to his disciples. Please turn to John chapter 13. We'll start in verse 16 this morning. John chapter 13, starting in verse 16. I do want to mention one more thing before we get started, and that if all goes to plan with the new space, we should be ready to be in there the week of May 22nd to the 26th. At least that's when our stuff is arriving. So um, please pray for those who will bear the burden of the work involved, All right, particularly Mark and Jack. Don't worry, we won't leave you out, though, because there's plenty to do, and I'm sure we'll have a work day or two to get everything set up. So with that, let's begin the message this morning. We're in John chapter 13, verse 16. John chapter 13, verse 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones whom I have chosen. But it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. 
From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit, and he testified and said, truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter gestured to him and said to him, tell us who it is of whom he is speaking. So he, the disciple whom Jesus loved, leaning back thus on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? Then Jesus answered, that is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took it and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After the morsel, Satan then entered into him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Now, no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. For some were supposing, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things we need for the feast, or else that he should give something to the poor. So, after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately, and it was night. Now, the Gospel of John moves from where we were two weeks ago, Jesus washing the defeat of the disciples and saying, I've given this as an example to you that you would serve one another. And then then it comes to a most treacherous, sad part, which is the betrayal of Judas. Now, Judas isn't going to actually act out his betrayal until chapter 19, but 18. But now is when the die is cast, as it were. And uh, as we saw in the passage today, Jesus is going to give him one last opportunity. He doesn't take that opportunity. And then Satan enters into him. And now it's going to there's no opportunity for him to turn back. And so he leaves the feast. And as we know, he goes and he sets up the betrayal of Jesus in the garden. Now, the Gospel of John in verses six, whoops, in verses 16 and 17 wraps up the narrative about the foot washing. In other words, 16 and 17 are really the conclusion of the narrative of the foot washing. And and here Jesus gives some general principles that had come out of his earlier teaching on service. So he's going to wrap things up with some general principles to leave them with. So notice in verse 16 again, John 13, 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. Now, remember, truly, truly marks that what follows is very important and should be listened to carefully and solemnly. So he says, basically, he's saying the the one who was sent is not greater than the one who sent him. A slave is not greater than his master. Jesus made this same point in a different way, in Luke 24, at this exact same meal. Look at Luke chapter 22, verse 24. 
it's important here, as it so often is, to see the context. Luke gives a different perspective on the Last Supper, okay, than John does. And so he, he, he backs up, or we back up with him, to the what was going on before the apostles came into the upper room. And it's very interesting what was going on. Look at chapter Luke chapter 22, verse 24. And there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was going to be the servant of all the others. Wait a minute. You guys look at me funny. You have another translation of the Bible maybe that I haven't known of before. No, he says they were arguing about which one of them was regarded as the greatest. And they were very human, right? They realized that Jesus was the Messiah, and they thought that Messiah was going to set up the kingdom, and they wanted to be right, second in command, so to speak. They were arguing, well, you know, I'm the one who did this, I'm the one who did that, I'm the one who gave him the bread when he fed the 5,000 or whatever. Okay, They're arguing as who's to be regarded as the greatest. What did Jesus say to them? He said, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you. But the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Now, Luke doesn't record the foot washing. John does. But you can see how they kind of weave together here. He's talking about service. And he's saying, you guys are reclining at the table. I'm getting ready to wash your feet. So they really fit. But we get the background from, from Luke that they were arguing about who was to be the greatest. They didn't get the point. So that's why Jesus then goes and washes their feet. And they says to them, if I, the master, have done this to you, you ought to do this to one another. All right, let's go back to our passage now in John 13. John 13, 17. Now he's going to say something else. The general principle. And it is this, John 13, 17. And this is very important. And this is something that a lot of Christians don't want to hear. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. See, a lot of Christians don't mind knowing a lot of things. But when it comes to actually doing what Jesus wants them to do, doing what the word of God wants them to do. Now, Jesus had just finished a discussion on service. And that's why he washed their feet. Immediately prior to that, they were arguing about who would be the greatest. So we can see that they weren't expecting the fact that they would that he would turn to them and say, you got to serve one another now. And that's just not theoretical. That's just not wordsmithing, right? That's actual. And it's the same thing for us. We are called to serve one another. We are not simply called to gather together to hear the word of God. Now, that's primary. But certainly, whatever in the word of God is, is an instruction for what, a, what we should do, then we ought to do. You see, God designed his word for both things both to educate us, instruct us, move our hearts, but then that we would put into practice the things that we've learned and say that we believe. Jesus emphasized this 
again and again in his ministry. I mean, it's not only him. It's all the, you know, all the New Testament writers, most of the Old Testament writers um, emphasize this point. And I want to put it this way this morning. God has given us his word. And thank God that he has. It's a tremendous treasure. But he's done that not only to inform us, which is the most, it is the primary thing, first thing, to inform us. In our case, to inform us about the person of Christ, as we saw in, in the uh, Resurrection Sunday message. To inform us of who we are, who God is, what grace is all about, where we're headed. Okay, so that's first. But then, not only that, but also that we might do what it tells us to do. That's where a lot of Christians drop off. You know, it's great that I come on Sunday, but you're asking me to go on a work day? I don't think so. I got something better to do. Right. But the whole idea is that we then put into practice the things that we believe. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. And like everything else, this is for our benefit. When Jesus says, if you know these things, blessed are those who do them. The word blessed means you're going to be blessed. This isn't, this isn't a cause and effect, but it's built into the way that God has designed us as believers. We're members of one body. Okay, when we when we act in love, that becomes more alive in our hearts. Okay, so it's our benefit, right? But our human nature, our flesh, doesn't want to do that. And that, you know what? That's a battle we're going to have till the day we die. You know, thank God it's not a battle we fight, right? It's the spirit that wars against the flesh. So we always, if, if we're feeling that tension, all right, don't go with it. Okay, step back and say, this is the flesh. The flesh doesn't want me to do what Jesus has asked me to do. But I also have the spirit, and the spirit is whispering in my ear and saying, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Okay. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? See, a lot of people at this time were calling him Lord, Lord, Lord. That's In a sense, that's the easy part. You know, everybody was calling him Lord, Lord, right? But he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep, laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it. Because it had been well built. I want you to notice the, the, the parable links up to the principle. And the principle is in verse 47, which is everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them. A lot of people want to take verse 48 and say, well, this just means I'm building an edifice complex in my soul. It means I know more than the word of God than anybody else. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, and acts on them. Again, verse 48, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, those are the problems and difficulties and tragedies of life. The torrent burst against that house and could not shake it <coughs> because it had been well built. I think of what David said in one of the Psalms. 
He said, I've been young and I've been old. And I have not seen the righteous forsaken or their dependents begging bread. You see, there is a practical outcome. Again, this is not called. It may have been cause and effect in the Old Testament because they were under the law. Right. And, and so it would be you. You obey the Lord. I will bless you. That's that is that is what it's all about in the, in the old covenant, in the Mosaic covenant. But not for us. However, it is true that the way that we build our foundation and, and, and laid it dug deep, build the foundation on the rock. And when the, in other words, we don't always just learn the word of God, but we put it into practice. Now, this is this that may seem that may seem tough, but really, again, what is the practice? The practice is to love one another as I have loved you. Jesus is going to emphasize that, you see. But love just doesn't talk, right? Love acts, love gives, and in by so doing, what we're doing is we're knitting ourselves together more and more and more. And when the when the floods occur. And it bursts against our house. That's our person. And it could not shake it. You see, isn't it, isn't it amazing how it is that we, we are uh, consoled and comforted by just knowing that we're praying for one another, for example. Okay. But not only that, when we come to somebody's assistance, and then there will be a day that they'll come to our assistance. See, that's how we can ride out the storms of life. You see. But it's not just theoretical. However, verse 49 but the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly, by the way, what good is it to hear it and then not act accordingly? Right. What good is it for your for your boss to say to you, you know what, you'll get a promotion if you complete this project and you love that sound. Oh, I got a, a promotion coming. <laughs> but you don't like the part of completing the project. But he's saying, why would you listen to that and not do it? It, it? The whole point of it is that you may put into practice what it is that I've asked you to do. So that's true in the human realm. Guess what? It's also true in the spiritual realm. The one who has heard and not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. In other words, you fall apart. You fall apart. If you don't if you don't act according to the word of God, then when the when the crisis and problems come, not just learn it now, but act according. That's what this says. Right. When the storms of life come, then there'll be you'll be you'll collapse. Right. And and there'd be a ruin. OK. I didn't say this. Jesus did. Now, after he's taught those general principles that come out of. His his example of washing the feet, his teaching that we would serve one another and never forget the context. He's not saying that that you'll be if you you'll act out like some people want to go out and they say, well, unless I become a missionary, I'm not acting according to my principles. Well, that might be true if you have that call. But Jesus says something different, really. He says, serve and love one another. Right now, that will amount to the same thing for some people. They're called to be missionary. Other people are called to have the gift of mercy. Right. Other people have the gift of administration. Other people have the gift of helps. You know, Jesus one time said, if you just give someone who's come in my name a cup of water, you'll receive a reward. You see, but it's all about it's all about loving and putting to practice. 
not what you claim to believe. So with that, now Jesus, and rather abruptly, he then turns and begins to speak about his betrayer. I've struggled to find that connection. It's really not there. It's like he ends his teaching on servanthood, and then he realizes it's time now to to, um, confront both the betrayer himself and the issue so that disciples also know what's going on. This isn't the first time that Jesus had spoken of the fact that Judas would betray him. Okay. He'd done it earlier in the Gospel of John when, when, when Peter said, you know, where else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. And then after that, he said, uh, Simon, I mean, Judas of Iscariot is not included. Look at John chapter 3, 18. 13, 18, rather. We're going to continue the narrative now. We're going to see the abruptness of which he changes subjects. John 13, 18. I do not speak of all of you. Hmm. I know the ones I have chosen. I know each of you. But it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. You see, Jesus knew them all inside and out. He knew that one of his disciples was a traitor. He had known it all along. He had known it from the moment he had, he had called Judas to be a member of his, inner, of his of the disciples that were closest to him, that that man would one day betray him. He had, in other words, he had his eyes wide open all along. Now, remember, in verse 17, he talked about hearing his word and then acting on it, right? Well, if you part of this is saying that the other disciples, besides Judas, right, heard his word and did it to the best of their ability. They didn't do it perfectly. They made a lot of mistakes. But, they, but Judas never did. Never did. And now Judas is going to strike a blow that would prove fatal to Jesus. It would set in motion the things that would lead up to his crucifixion. So he struck a blow that would prove fatal to Jesus, but just for a little while, because then he would, of course, be raised from the dead. I want you to turn to Psalm chapter 41, verse 9. Psalm chapter 41, verse 9. Jesus actually quotes an excerpt from Psalm 41.9, when he says, he who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. But I want you to see a little bit of the context, just a little bit. Psalm 41.9, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread and has, has lifted up his heel against me. In context, by the way, David is talking about all his enemies who are attacking him. And that was painful. But the most painful thing of all was when his close friend turned against him. Okay. But it's interesting. Jesus omits the first part of verse 9. In other words, he doesn't say, even my close friend in whom I trusted. Why? Because he never trusted Judas. (laughs) Never. You know, he knew everything about him. He knew what was in him. He had seen, you know, John point that out in John 2, 24 and 25. 
He knew it was in a man. He knew it, mankind, and he knew individuals. He never trusted Judas. He knew what he was going to do. Okay, let's go back to our passage, John chapter 13, verse 19. This is a great verse. Yeah, it's funny. I, I prepare, obviously, some, best I can. And uh, I come to a verse that I say to myself, man, that's the most important verse of the passage today. There's so much I could say about it, you know. But here's the thing. Right? I, I'll tell you, we've been, on, we've been on the Gospel of John for a while. And if I were to stop at every verse and tell you everything about it, you know, there would be years and years and years. So I'm not going to do that. Although I try to get in there and give you the the um, summit details and you know the meaning of these things, and this is a key. This is an important one. John chapter thirteen, verse nineteen. From now on, he's talking to his disciples. From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am. I know he is in your Bibles. It's not in the Greek. Okay. That you may believe that I am. Now, let me ask you something. When somebody tells you something before it comes to pass, and when that happens in the Bible, what do we call such a man? A prophet, right. So Jesus is a prophet, okay? Then he, but notice the purpose. He says, listen, I'm telling you these things before they come to pass now so that when they occur, you may believe that I am. Jesus is telling them now, ahead of time, the things which will soon happen. Why? Well, first of all, he wants them to be prepared. He doesn't want to be ta- them to be taken by surprise. That would upset them too much. They're going to be surprised enough when, this, when, when, when they see this all play out. Okay, But if they didn't know that one of them betrayed him, it would be even more of a shock. So he wants them to be prepared so they're not taken by surprise. I'm telling you things before they come to pass so that when they occur, you may believe that I am. But notice the final purpose of this. Okay, yes, he wanted them to be prepared. But more importantly, here in verse 19, he is giving fresh testimony to them of his deity. Okay, he can foretell the future. But not only that, once again, he states directly at the end of this verse that you may believe that I am. And, of course, believing is, I probably mentioned this to you. Yeah, I think I did mention it before. But I got some feedback, right, on, on, on the Gospel of John and how I was teaching it. And they were saying, you know, Pastor John, he says believe over and over and over again. You know, I'm getting tired of it. Okay, I know, I know, I know. Well, sorry, gang. I'm only doing it because it's in the book and it's repeated and repeated and repeated and boy it's a good thing especially in the days in which we live when almost nobody zeroes in on the simplicity of the gospel and says it's simply a matter of believing simply a matter of believing thief on the cross never went to church right never went to church right he never repented from all his sins didn't do any of that stuff didn't make any promises All he did was believe that Jesus was the son of God and that he has a kingdom. And he only asked him to remember him. That shows faith. He's on the cross. He's dying. And he's saying, I believe in you. I know where you're headed. I want to come with you. Okay. Believe. 
believe what here? That I am. That I am. So once again here, and he's done it previously in the Gospel of John, he's telling them directly that he is the Lord God, Yahweh. It's ego I me in the Greek. But what it really means is the great I am. All the way back in the book of Exodus, when Moses asked the Lord, who are you? He said, I am who I am. It's the personal title for God. Okay, so Jesus is saying, I am. He says, yes, I'm your teacher, but I am also the son of God. And they needed that, too, at this point in time, because a lot of horrible things are about to happen. But they needed to know that Jesus is not simply a man, but he's also the son of God. That would give them great hope, just like it gives us great hope. I wanted you to see a former time when he said that in the Gospel of John. Now, please turn to chapter 8, verse 58. He had told the Jews the same thing in the same way here in chapter 8, and they wanted to kill him for it. That's that's the difference, by the way, between a believer and an unbeliever, right? Believer takes takes, we take our hope from the fact that Jesus is God. The unbeliever doesn't. Right. The unbeliever just says, I don't want anything to do with it. Right. In this day and age, we have unbelievers that are actively hostile to Jesus Christ. The very name of it. That's the difference between a believer and unbeliever. Look at John 8, 58. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Abraham, of course, was was, was the first Hebrew Okay, one who crosses the river. He was the first one. Everybody, every Jewish person was is descended from Abraham. What he was saying was before that Abraham was even born, I am right. I'm God and I've always been God. and I always will be. All right, let's go back now to our, our passage this morning in verse 20. Look at John chapter 13, verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He's talking now about the 11 who believed in him. And soon he will send them out to preach the gospel. So he's saying, he who receives whomever I send, you Right. Receives me. Then he goes on and he says, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Those who receive them are really receiving Jesus. Those who receive you when you preach the gospel are literally receiving Jesus. Okay, those who believe it, those who receive the message. And Jesus tells them here, not only that, but they're also receiving the father. God the Father. And here again, he reminds them that he was sent by his Father to accomplish his mission. And that's important, because his mission will now lead into the lead into the darkness of the crucifixion and the illegal trials and the beatings. And he's saying, this is all part of my mission. All right. Don't freak out. God has, has, has ordained this to happen. 
This, by the way, is another saying that Jesus used quite often in different contexts. I'd like you to turn now to Matthew 10, 40. All right, I'll give you, I'm giving you a, get that a little early because I'm going to say one more thing to set it up. But you can go now to Matthew 10, 40. Matthew 10, 40. That's a good passage around this time of year when tax day is next week. <laughs> Matthew 10, 40. Okay, what's going on? Well, early in his public ministry, really almost at the beginning of his public ministry, he had also sent out his disciples. And he used these same words when he did so. Look again at Matthew 10, verse 40. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. That is exactly what he said. Now, notice he said it at the beginning of his public ministry, and now he's saying it right after the end of his public ministry. That's no accident, you know. Basically, in in John, our passage this morning, chapter 13, verse 20, he's basically also reminding them about that earlier commission. He said, you know, he basically, by, by saying exactly the same thing, he's saying, don't forget, at the beginning of this, I sent you out with these same words, right? And that was a calling. And what he's saying here is their calling won't be canceled. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Despite the betrayal of one of their own, their calling continues. Let's go. Let's go back to John. We're going to continue in verse 30, verse 21, John 13, 21. By the way, there's a lesson in what we just saw about their their calling, right? Continuing, not being canceled because of sin, because of error, because of failure. Well, I want to tell you something. Same thing is true about you. God has put a calling on your life. I don't know what it is. I hope you do, right? The calling is kind of a mixture. It's a, it's a combination of a spiritual gift, right? And the people that God has asked you to exercise that gift for, okay? That's a calling, right? The, the, the apostles had, had, that was like their own unique spiritual gift. I mean, they had it all. I mean, they were preachers of the gospel, they were leaders. They were um, they were prophets themselves at times. Uh, so, so he's saying that to you too this morning. He's saying, "Listen, I've given you a call. I've, I've given you a gift that you are to employ for the benefit of others, and I'm even going to identify and help you understand who." You know, you know, a lot of times people want to dilute things and they get concerned and, and think they want to look at somebody else, basically. They want to say, oh, I see what he or she is doing. I guess I ought to do that, too. Right. Whether from guilt or arrogance or I don't know what. And I've been guilty of it. So I know which I speak. Right. What we want to do is we're saying I what, they're, what you're really saying is I don't really want to exercise my gift among the people you've brought me to. I want to do something else. Right. No, <laughs> no. You have a specific calling. OK. So did they. All right, John 13, 21. When Jesus has said this, whoever I send and whoever receives the one I send receives me. When he had said this, he became troubled in spirit. And he testified and said, 
truly, truly, he said truly, truly three times today. I hope you notice. There's a very solemn part of the Gospel of John. Truly, truly, I say to you. In other words, this is going to be a solemn moment. Please pay attention. Take this to heart. Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. Now, put yourself in that situation. Okay. I mean, you know, you're not going to have Jesus in the flesh. Okay. But there's going to be a situation where, just think about a situation where there's a group of you, and then the leader comes in and says, one of you is about to betray me. Well, I don't know. In my heart, I think there'd be a a mixture of terror and fear and guilt. Guilt would be up there, right? Will it be me, right? Uh, They knew they were fallible, right? They knew times when they had not understood what he said or wanted to walk away. And the other thing, though, was was a tremendous curiosity boarding on. I hope I get to blame somebody else. Right. That's another part of being human. If it's not me, great. You know, if it's somebody else, you know, like if, like, you know, if we think that like we're in a group and a crime has been committed. Right. And we think, well, maybe we might be part of that. Right. But then when the police come and arrest somebody else, we're like, Phew. And then we start to judge the person that was around. I I can't believe he did that, you know. So there's all of that going on here, too. Don't don't think there isn't. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. By the way, here we get another glimpse in verse 21 of the humanity of Jesus Christ. The humanity. Notice, when Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit. We had seen that expression earlier when he was standing at the grave of Lazarus and wept. His humanity is coming out. You can imagine him being troubled in spirit again about several things, right? About the fact that his disciples are now going to have to go through some terrible things. About the fact that he's going to have to go through terrible things. And about the fact that one of the ones that had been with him for three and a half years was about to betray him. And in his humanity, that hurt. And he was troubled in spirit. Now, this is the third time in the Gospel of John that Jesus has mentioned his betrayer right here in the upper room. You know, it's uh, it's a part of, a, of this upper room discourse, as it's called, that we really don't want to spend much time looking at. You know, let's go on to the rest of it, right? But for whatever reason, this is one of the first things that that happens, right? That's bad and that's good. It's bad because we've got to deal with and come to terms with the evil that's here. But it's also good, and we're going to see, we're not going to see it today, but we're going to see it next week, that Jesus takes action. He basically says, get out of here, right? And that's good, you know, because a little leaven leavens the whole dough, right? You know, he says, listen, I, I've got to get rid of the one who is the troublemaker from this group so that you can go on. That's a principle in the church age, too. You know, in First Corinthians, chapter five, when there was a man who was sleeping with his father's wife, he said, send him away. Have nothing to do with him. A little Paul said a little leaven leavens the whole dough. OK, so. Um, so Jesus has mentioned his betrayer for the third time now. 
And they're all in here in chapter 13. The other two are we've seen last two weeks ago. John 13, 2. We're not going to go there this morning, but you, we've been through it. John 13, 2, you can look it up later. And John 13, 10 to 11. So he's not holding back. You know, he said it even before he washed their feet. Think about that, by the way, just for a moment. Think about being Judas, okay? And you're coming in. You know what you're going to do. You really don't want any people to know. So you're a phony as well as being a thief. And so you just sit there and you allow Jesus to wash your feet. You know you're about to betray him. You know that he's the master. You should be serving him. He, he lets him wash his feet. And then he's also going to be pretty much one of the guests of honor at the, at the supper afterwards. Right. That made no impact on him either. He accepted the honor and then went out to destroy Jesus. You know, I, I don't I don't judge too many people, but man, that is that is evil. That is evil. So here Jesus leaves absolutely no doubt that his betrayer is present at this meal. And as you might expect, that shocked the rest of the disciples. Didn't shock Judas, because he know he knew. But the other the eleven were in shock. And they're asking the, they're asking the question who would do such a heinous act? Who would commit that? They were looking at one another. I love it. They began looking at one another, though, right? Looking at one another. That's interesting, too. They want, like, I want to, nah, I don't think that one. Yeah, it could be that one, right? Looking at one another. At a loss to know of which one he was speaking. Now, that's how we know that Judas isn't included here, because he knew exactly who he was speaking about, who Jesus was speaking about. But the rest of them are in shock. Mark records the reaction. I'd like you to see that now. Please go to Mark chapter 14, verse 17. Mark chapter 14, verse 17. Mark 14, 17. I'm telling you, there's goblins. We, we always have trouble with the technology one way or another. And, and I got to tell you, I stare at that clock because it's right in front of me when I'm preaching. Right. And so, and something happens like between 25 after 10 and 5 of 11. It's like somebody just steals 20 minutes. In any event. Mark 14, 17. When it was evening, he, Jesus, came with the twelve. This is the same evening, same meal. As they were reclining at the table and eating. By the way, park that word in your head because we're going to talk about that next week. They were reclining at the table and eating. Okay, This is the Last Supper. Jesus said, truly I say to you that one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be grieved and to say to him one by one, surely not I. I mean, this is kind of on a par with Peter. What Peter said, I will I will never I will never abandon you. Right. Surely it's not I in the back of their mind. They're saying, "Mm, I hope not. And he said to them, it is one of the twelve. And then he says, one who dips with me in the bowl. John's much more specific about that, by the way, when he talks about the morsel and the place of honor. 
For the Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him. They should have known from the scriptures. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Pretty solemn. Let's go back to John 13 now. We'll finish up this morning. John 13, 23. I told you to remember that word reclining. We're going to talk about, I don't know if we'll get to it this week or next week, but we're going to talk about what that implied in, in, in a very practical way, though. John 13, 23. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom, his chest, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter gestured to him and said to him, tell us who it is of whom he is speaking. He John, leaning back thus on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus then answered, That is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. By the way, John's the only one who heard that. Okay. That is this is that that is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. A, a great honor. At a, at a supper, at a meal like that. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took it and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Here we are introduced to a, a name or a description, okay? And that is the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's only used in the Gospel of John, by the way. It's describing one of the disciples of the Lord. And John calls him the disciple whom Jesus loved. He does so on four separate occasions. I'm going to give them to you now. Here in the upper room, in our passage now, let's read scene. And then at the cross. I, I want, I want, I'm going to go through these passages and read them. Okay, I decided to do that, and that means I'm turning the page right with you. See, I decided to do it in, when it's just in the Gospel of John. I can get there pretty quickly. All right, look at look at John 19. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Verse 26. They're at the cross. There are women there. Jesus' mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene. And verse 26, when Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. If you want to talk about an honor, that's an honor. He's dying and he's turning to the one whom Jesus loved, asking this, this disciple to take care of his mother. So that's the second time that this description, the one who, the disciple whom Jesus loved, is found. The third one is at the empty tomb. Let's go to John chapter 20, verse 2. In other words, these are significant events, right, in the gospel, in, in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So at the empty tomb is the third time that we see this expression in the gospel. John 
<coughs> John chapter 20, starting in verse 2. So she ran, this is Mary Magdalene, and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. There it is again. And said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we, don't not, we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, went forth, and they were going to the tomb, and the two were running together. And the other disciple ran faster, ran ahead faster than Peter, and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw that the linen wrappings standing, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came, following him, and he entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying, and the face cloth which had been on his head not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. And so the other disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who had first come to the tomb, then also entered, and he saw and believed. So that's the third time at the empty tomb. The last one is by the lake of Tiberias. Please turn to John 21, verse 7. By the way, there's information because one of the questions I know, right, is, well, who is the one? Who is which disciple is the one is he talking about? And there are there are clues in each of these four passages as to the identity of this disciple whom Jesus loved. And look at John 21, 7. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord. He put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. Now, who was there? Look at verse 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. There were seven. Here they are. Simon Peter... Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others. So in other words, one of these is the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to do all of the process of elimination, but in this gospel, John never na- gives the name, obviously, of the disciple whom Jesus loved. But he does name others, and here he's naming Peter and Thomas and Nathaniel and then the sons of Zebedee, and then two others of his disciples who were together. Okay, so that's verse 7 in the context. Now let's go to verse 20. Last time we see this expression. Peter, turning around, saw, here he is again, the disciple whom Jesus loved, following them. The one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Therefore, this saying went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? Then verse 24. This is the disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved. 
who is testifying to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. There's a lot of facts. He's one of those seven. He was the only man at the cross. Okay. By the way, that eliminates Peter. Okay. We know he wasn't there. Okay. And, and, and they all fled except for this one. But he's the one who testified to these things, wrote these things, and we know. In other words, he's the author of the Gospel of John, right? And it's one of those seven. Okay. Now I'm not going to go through all of the analysis, um, but if you do. Okay, the fact is that the evidence points to John, the son of Zebedee, okay, by process of elimination. I will say this, it's possible that it could be his brother James, but not probable. Okay, it's most probable that it's John, okay, the son of Zebedee. Okay, that's where we're going to leave things today. Next week, we're going we're gonna to look at a picture. Probably you know that picture. And we're going to see why it's not accurate at all. Not accurate at all. Okay, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again this morning for all the blessings you've given us, none more than your son, Jesus Christ, none more than your word of God, which tells us all these things and also challenges us to act accordingly. And Father, in the time remaining, we just ask that if there's anybody within the sound of my voice who has not believed in Jesus Christ, God's son, as the one who died for you and and was buried and rose from the dead. We ask, Father, this morning that the Holy Spirit may convict this one and to help him or her so that they may finally believe the truth of the good news of the gospel and be saved and receive eternal life and be declared perfectly righteous by the Father. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Father, again, we, 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 we thank you for all your blessings. We ask, Father, for your comfort and protection and deliverance for those among us who are undergoing suffering at this time of any kind. We ask, Father, that we would also do what we can to help these brothers and sisters in the Lord. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.